Well, I am glad that you are here as we begin a new series on the parables of Jesus. And if you're not even familiar with what a parable is, it's a story, all right? It's pretty much about as simple as that. Jesus was a storyteller, and he was a good one. He never told any bad stories. But he told a lot of stories, and we're going to start with one today, and then in the following weeks, we're going to study more. And it's going to be a really wonderful series, and I'm really excited about this morning's. But before we get to our parable, I want to start by presenting a scenario for you to think about. So, I would encourage you to put on your imagination caps and think about this scenario, all right? Let's imagine that you graduated valedictorian in your high school, okay? Some of you guys are like, yeah, this is off to a good start. (laughs) Now, imagine that you went on to college and graduated summa cum laude, which means that you had a 4.0 GPA. And then imagine that you went on and graduated top of your class in your master's program. And then after that, you got a job. And you have been working now for 12 years at the same company doing the same job under the same boss. Okay, so you've got 12 years under your belt. And you get a very reasonable salary and package, you know, good benefits, health care, vacation, retirement, all of that. You're in a good spot, financially speaking. And uh, now, let's imagine that a year ago, some kid that didn't even graduate high school got a job at your company doing the same job that you do under the same boss. And today, after you've been there for 12 years, and they've been there for one, your boss decides to give them the same package that you have, same salary, same benefits, same vacation, same everything. Okay, now, inside, you're going, oh, I don't like that. Well, let's add to it. Not only does your boss decide to give them the same package that you've got, but they decide to give them a bonus, a bonus that is equal to 11 years of your salary. And so now you've been working there for 12 years, and they've been working for one, and you've made the same amount of money, and you've got the same salary and benefits. How do you feel? (laughs) You might not even want to say it, but (laughs) I think you probably, probably feel like you've been treated unfairly. You're probably going to grumble and complain about it. You might even get straight up angry with it. Just the thought of such a scenario pokes at so many of the values that we've been taught, right? It, it, It pushes against our sense of justice and our hard work ethic. It flies in the face of... Uh, everything that we believe on equitable business practices. It, it reminds us of you know, what Thomas Carlyle famously said, a fair day's wages for a fair day's work. It makes us think of Scripture like uh, Luke 10, 7 and 1 Timothy 5, 18, which both say the worker is worthy of his wages. 
We likely cringe at the scenario that I just described, yet that is the scenario that we find in one of Jesus' stories, interestingly enough. Now, the story that we're going to be in is in Matthew chapter 20, and so if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, you want to reference this morning, I encourage you to go to Matthew chapter 20. But here's the thing, before Jesus told this story, his disciples asked him a question. So shortly before that, in Matthew 19, verse 27 says, Then Peter responded to him, See, we have left everything and followed you, so what will there be for us? Ah, this is great, because Peter's like, Hey, Jesus, you know, like, this is kind of a big deal what we're doing, right? Like, we left a lot of stuff behind. What's in it for us? What's coming? You know, you can kind of see the mentality that's going on there. Now, in the next few verses, here's what Jesus says. He says, Truly I tell you, in the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields because of my name will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Now that's an important statement because you're going to see it again. And so, right after Jesus said this, after Peter asked that question, he said this, but then he went on to tell a story. And it was a story that would help clarify and set straight his disciples' thinking on the kingdom and God's grace for salvation. And we know it as the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. And it's in Matthew chapter 20, and we're going to read it. So starting in verse 1, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the workers on one denarius, he sent them into his vineyard for the day. When he went out about nine in the morning, he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He said to them, you also go into my vineyard and I'll give you whatever is right. So off they went. About noon and about three, he went out again and did the same thing. Then about five, he went and found others standing around and saying to them, Why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they said to him. Will you also go into my vineyard, he told them. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, Call the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the first. Well, when those who were hired about five came, they each received one denarius. So when the first ones came, they assumed they would get more, but they also received a denarius each. When they received it, they began to complain to the landowner. These last men put in one hour, and you made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day's work and the burning heat? He replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me on a denarius? Take what's yours and go. I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Are you jealous because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first last. That's the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. 
Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Jesus was so insightful. He's perfect. He's God. And he told this story to communicate to his disciples, and he told it to communicate to us today as well. And we thank you that we get to learn from Christ. And we pray that we would be willing and ready to receive whatever it is that he's trying to tell us. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. All right. So let's first address a couple things that this parable is not about. It is not about the best business practices. All right? It is not about the best socio-political economic policies. It is about the kingdom of God. Right? And as we begin a series on parables, it's important for us to understand that when Jesus told these stories, he was trying to communicate spiritual truth. Okay? So when we read them, we need to look for the spiritual truth or potentially truths that Jesus is trying to teach. We don't need to use them as, as our platform for our own ideas on things of the world, nor do we need to uh, look at them and try to dig into every little tiny detail trying to find secret hidden meanings in every little thing. You know, Jesus' stories often confused his listeners, but not because they required some complicated interpretive method to understand People didn't understand because they didn't have ears to hear and hearts to understand the spiritual truths that he was trying to communicate. You know, they had a hard time relating the story to the spiritual truth. But hopefully, uh, we do have ears to hear and hearts to understand. We should. And so let's break this parable down a little bit. You know, let's look at the different elements and, and, and what they represent. It's not that complicated. So first of all, we have the owner. Well, that's God. Pretty simple. The owner is God. And then we have the vineyard. Well, that's God's kingdom. He's the owner of his kingdom. Okay? And then we have laborers, which represent Christians. And the focus of the parable, when, when we read it, you'll notice like the main focus is on the first group and the last group. But there was actually a total of five groups that are mentioned there. And so the first group was hired at the beginning of the day. That's like like 6 a.m., right? You know, they, they were the ones who worked the whole day because the day was supposed to end like 6 p.m. And so then you have a group that was hired at 9 a.m. and then a group at noon and then a group at 3 o'clock. And then an hour before closing time, you got this group that was hired at 5 o'clock. All right? And so those are our five groups. And the work that they did represents Christian work, kingdom harvesting, right? It, for us, it's like the Great Commission, Make, make disciples of all nations. They were picking God's grapes. <laughs> That's what we do in the Great Commission. And the denarius equals the gift of salvation. And so these are, he's telling a story that these people can relate to, but it's communicating spiritual things about the kingdom of God. So this is not teaching you how to run your business. I imagine if you ran your business like this, you'd go out of business pretty quick. Right? You'd have disgruntled employees. You, would, uh, you might run out of money because you hire a bunch of workers that you don't even need. 
And you know what would happen the next day? <laughs> Everybody would show up at 5 o'clock. Right? <laughs> Everybody would be like, all right, see you guys at 5 tomorrow, apparently. No, this is not teaching us how to run our business. If we think of it in those terms, it just seems ludicrous, which is precisely the point. Jesus was trying to elicit this response in, in, in the people who were hearing this. He wanted them to relate to these, these laborers, especially that first group that, that worked all day out in the sun, 12 hours, and then gets paid the same thing that these guys who show up at the end of the day and work for an hour did. It was not fair. At least not according to the definition of fair that we have in our culture right now. Right? To us, in, in, in the world today, fair means completely equal, the same all the time, right? Like everybody uh, has the same treatment all the time. That's how people define fair. Well, here's the deal. If we define fair that way, then God is not fair. Now, if we define fair as right, everyone always being treated right, then absolutely God is fair. Now, our culture right now is infatuated with the, the, the sameness, everybody always being treated the same. And it's easy for us to get infatuated with the same things. It's easy for us to envision working together with the world to establish some kind of a fair world. Well, let me tell you something. I don't want a fair world. You know why? David Platt pointed out what D.A. Carson said. I love it. He said, do you really want nothing but totally effective instantaneous justice? Then go to hell. Hell is a fair world for us. I don't want a fair world. I want one that is full of God's grace for my utter, complete lack of purity. That's what we need. Thankfully, that's what he's given us. There's actually two things that, that David Platt pointed out about this passage that I love and I wanted to share the first of them is that God's grace is surprising. His grace is surprising. Every one of these laborers at the end of the day was surprised. right? Many of them were likely surprised that they even got hired in the first place. You know, who hires some guy at the end of the day? What owner of a vineyard is going to come out at 5 o'clock just to hire some more people? And I think a lot of Christians... Maybe some of you in the audience this morning could relate to these guys. You'd be like, what, what was Jesus thinking and saving me anyway? Why would he do that? I think Paul could have related to some of these later groups of guys. Man, he saved me? Why would he do that? Why would he come to me? So late in the game? And then they were surprised because they were paid in reverse order, starting with the guys that just worked an hour at the end of the day. Can you imagine being one of those guys that's worked out in the hot sun for 12 hours and you come back and you're finally ready to just go home and get cleaned up and relax and you're like, oh, he's paying these guys first? Man, I've been out here all day. And then he's probably thinking to himself, well, fine, you know, let them take their little bit and I'm getting a whole denarius. And then the biggest surprise of all, nope, everybody gets paid the same thing. None of these guys could have imagined that. This blew their minds. They would have never thought that this would have happened. It didn't make sense to them. God's grace is surprising. It's surprising both to those who thought they deserved it 
and to those who knew they didn't. Not only is his grace surprising, but it is sovereign. God's grace is sovereign. God does not owe any of us anything except an eternity of his wrath. You can look again at verse 4 and verse 15. Love, love verse 4. He said to them, you also go into my vineyard and I'll give you whatever is right. Like that's all, all these groups after that first group, they didn't even know what they were going to get paid. They didn't even discuss anything. The guy just told them, I'll just give you what's right. And he's the one who gets to determine what's right. And then verse 15, he says, don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Are you jealous because I'm generous? God is perfectly just to dish out his grace as he sees fit. That is his prerogative. No one is in hell unjustly. No one is in heaven by merit. This parable also has an application to the question, you know, well, what about those who don't have the opportunities that we did? You know, we often ask that ourselves. You know, we, we, we feel like some people don't get a fair shake because they didn't get the opportunities to hear the gospel like we did. They didn't have the opportunities to have these churches and, and Bibles in their own languages and, and all of these things. And here's the reality of that truth. It's, it's, that's true. Not everyone has had the same opportunities in this world. That is true. And what that truth should do for us is it compels us. It compels us to go to all nations, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to do the same thing. That truth compels us to go. Where we go wrong, however, is when we start to imagine to ourselves that that truth means that God has been unjust. God has not been unjust with anyone, but he has been more generous with some. Romans 9 is all about this. Uh, verses 14 through 16 say, What should we say then? Is there injustice with God? Absolutely not. For he tells Moses, I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it does not depend on human will or effort, but on God who shows mercy. I would encourage you this week, go on your own, study Romans chapter 9. It's a very good companion to study alongside this parable. You know what's so interesting, though? Here's the thing. If we were put in charge of coming up with a plan of rescuing humans from their sinfulness, it wouldn't look anything like God's. Sometimes we want to complain about, you know, the unfairness of it, but here's the thing. If we came up with our own plan, it would not be nearly as generous as God's. We would not be as nearly generous with grace as he is. No, we couldn't stomach anything that looked like Jeffrey Dahmer being our neighbor in heaven. Do you know that he made a profession of repentance and was baptized in prison? No, we cringe at the thought of sharing the heavenly table with Ted Bundy, who also made a profession to find forgiveness in Christ. 
Do we know with absolute certainty that either of those professions were genuine? No, but we should hope so. We should hope so. The reality is that we could end up giving a loving embrace to Kim Jong-un while one of our favorite ministry heroes that we looked up to our entire life is in hell. And you know what? There would be nothing wrong with that because it is God's plan of salvation. He is the one who paved the road to life. He is the one who said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It is his way. It is his grace to give out. It is not ours. And that means we need to check ourselves. We need to check ourselves because the only group of workers that this owner had any conflict with were the ones who had worked all day and thought they deserved better. And when we think about the original audience for this story, we can kind of understand how they related to it. Jewish people who had been working for millennia to follow God's laws and now all of a sudden they were going to be in the same boat as the Gentiles for salvation? Some random Samaritan could be a child of Abraham, an heir according to the promise, just like a faithful Jewish person? They thought they deserved more. Just like we often do of ourselves. We, we really do as humans walk this earth with some silly ideas of what we deserve. <laughs> We've created some weird thought process in which we view ourselves as both deserving to go to hell, yet not deserving like suffering in this life. We might say something to ourselves like, well, yeah, I deserve to go to hell, but I don't deserve cancer. How does that make sense? <laughs> now, I did a sermon not long ago on suffering, and we learned that you know, it, sometimes we do suffer as a, as a consequence for specific sins that we have committed, right? And, and, and it can be pretty easy to see that. And we called that deserved suffering. But then other times we suffer just as a result of being a human in a sinful world. It's inescapable. And we call that common suffering. But some people might be tempted to call it undeserved suffering. But I can't use that term because there is no such thing as undeserved suffering. Not for us. The only undeserved suffering that ever happened was to Jesus. So I might want to tell myself that I wouldn't deserve some tragedy that could befall me someday, but I would be lying to myself. You know why? Because I never deserved the good gifts that he gave me in the first place. I mean, really, I hope you're tracking with me. Like, none of us deserve to not have cancer, right? It's God's grace. None of us deserve the breath that we are breathing right now. They are gifts of God's grace. And it's interesting to me the questions that, that humans get hung up on about God. And not bad questions, but take, for instance, like, why does God allow so much evil? Well, it's not a bad question, but we need to think about our perspective when we try to answer that. Because right? we, as humans, we want to complain about God doing things like flooding the entire earth and killing all but one family. 
or the commands that he gave to Israelites in the Old Testament to kill whole groups of people. And we come up in our minds thinking like, well, he's acting unjustly to end people's lives in what we have determined as the wrong time or the wrong way. Yet we don't throw a fit about people dying in their bed at 100 years old. Which is really interesting. Because here's the thing, there has never been a moment in history when a human's life was not in the hands of God's sovereign dispensation of grace and wrath. Never. Right? The only reason we die at all is because of God's just judgment on our sins. Before there was sin, there was no death. There was judgment for that sin, and now there's death. And even after that, if you remember back in the day, people lived close to a thousand years. And then, justly, God also came in again and judged humanity and cut our lives short. And now we are lucky to get a hundred. So die in a world flood as a child or 120 years old peacefully in your bed, either way, It is from God's just justice. And so when we understand who God is and who we are and the position that puts us in, it really starts to change our perspective. And so we move from asking questions like, why do bad things happen to good people? to asking instead, why do good things happen to any of us? We switch from asking, why does God allow so much evil, to why does God give so much good? And instead of telling ourselves, well, I don't deserve these hardships I've been dealt, we say, man, I don't deserve these gifts that I've been given. And that switch in mentality alone can change everything in our life. It blows our, our whole world. I love what Sean O'Donnell said. He said, don't feel wronged or cheated by God if he seemingly gives more grace to others than you would. Don't be angry or envious if others are loved by God who are not as holy or as hardworking or as long-working as you are. Be grateful for being chosen. Be grateful for the opportunity to work. Be grateful for getting paid anything at the end of the day. Don't grumble. You see, when it comes to serving the Lord, to being saved, none of us deserve the job in the first place. Right? It's not our merit. It's not our resume that got us the job. It's the owner of the vineyard coming to us and calling us. We don't deserve to pick God's grapes. Heck, he doesn't even need us to do it. He blessed us with the opportunity to serve him. So we could picture ourselves as this first group complaining to the owner, man, this isn't fair. And I picture God being like, oh, I'm sorry. Is this your kingdom? Is this your grace being bestowed upon these workers? Are you the one that offered them a job? Are you the one that even found this job, or am I the one who came to you and offered it to you? God's grace is surprisingly generous and sovereignly distributed. 
Now, our grace, our grace, well, we're not God, so we can't distribute it sovereignly the way that he does. But one of the things that we can do is we can give surprising grace to others. And we need to practice some surprising grace right now. You know why? Because people are doing a lot of dumb stuff, including brothers and sisters in Christ. Christians are believing lies. Christians are saying stupid things on Facebook. Christians are giving into the schemes of Satan. Christians are turning their backs on the church. Christians are neglecting the Great Commission. Christians are squandering their spiritual gifts. And you know what? They need grace. They need grace just like those who have never stopped working because none of us deserve the job in the first place. Romans 15, 1 and 2 says, Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. You know, right now, we have brothers and sisters without strength. Maybe more so now than ever in our lifetime. And those who are strong right now have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those who are not. And we do this remembering that one day the tables might be turned and so we take our strength right now and we spend our strength ministering to those who are weak. And you know what? One day, we might be the weak ones who need their strength. Jesus ended the story with the same thing that he said right before it. So the last will be first and the first last. You know, salvation is granted equally to Peter, Paul, and the thief on the cross, who had no time to work. Salvation is granted equally to Jews and Gentiles, to seminary graduates and high school dropouts. We cannot walk this Christian life with any sense of pride. It just does not fit. Those guys in the story that worked all day, we found out that their attitude wasn't that great anyway. You know, some of us may spend our whole life working for the Lord and not have the best attitude about it. And then someone else may only get a tiny little portion of their life to work for the Lord and do it wholeheartedly. There's no place for pride. So here's my challenge to us. I have a challenge. There's four things. They apply to everybody in here. First of all, Stop thinking that you deserve God's good gifts. When you realize that you don't deserve them, what that does for us is it teaches us to appreciate them instead of holding them hostage. It teaches us to worship the giver instead of the gift. Secondly, give some surprising grace to somebody who needs it. 
I think that every one of us right now can think of somebody who needs our grace. And you may feel inside of yourself, well, they don't deserve my grace. Welcome to the club. That's the position that we're all in. We don't deserve God's grace. So give it to them anyway and surprise them with it. The third one is for those of us who are strong right now. Bear the weaknesses of those without strength. Not to please yourself, but to build up your brother. And finally, for those who are weak right now, don't let pride get in the way of reaching out for help. Don't let pride get in the way. You know, it is tragic to see so many people let their, their hearts and their souls and their minds and their marriages and their families slowly rot because they are too proud to ask for help. They give in. To, it happens all the time. I'm telling you, it happens so much. You see people giving in to Satan's lies, his schemes, that things can't change. His lie that if we actually come out and, and tell people what's going on, they won't meet us with grace and love and compassion. We believe that it's just no use anymore. That is it's bull feces. It is. I'm telling you, like, there is no feeling that cannot change with Christ. There is no relationship that cannot be reconciled with Christ. There is no bus that cannot be turned around by Christ. So don't let pride get in the way. Nothing is too big for him. And so if that is you today, don't let pride keep you from reaching out for help. Don't let pride keep you from confessing sin. Don't let Satan's lies convince you that keeping it to yourself is the right choice. That is not how he created his body to function. And what I would say is that when you finally listen to the Lord and you give in to what he's trying to do, we want to meet you with the same surprising grace that he has met each and every one of us with. Amen. Let's pray. God, you are so good. We really can't even, we can't even comprehend how good and how generous you are. It's beyond understanding. We thank you. We thank you for calling us. We thank you for offering us a job. We thank you for the opportunity to serve you. We know that we don't deserve it. And God, I pray right now that we would bow down before you in humility. God, I pray for those who are strong right now, 
they would not squander that strength, that they would not keep it to themselves. I pray for those that are weak right now, that they would not keep it to themselves. I pray for those who are maybe mistakenly thinking that they are strong when they're not. We pray that there would be a revelation in their life, in their heart. God, we pray that you would help us to practice surprising grace the way that you've done it with us. And of course, we know, God, that doesn't eliminate our need for accountability. It doesn't eliminate your teachings on, on you know, rebuking and, and, and calling one another out. But, we, but God, there are so many times in our life when we just want to resist giving grace to others and forgive us for those times and help us to learn to be more like you. Help us to practice what we know is true. And we pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.